This is episode number 221, what I learned in 2018. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Super excited to be here with you today and to be at the end of this amazing year that we had, 2018. Lots of learnings, lots of inspiration, lots of great things happened this year. I'm sure that is true for all of us. And today I'm very inspired and very pumped to share my top seven learnings of 2018. So we did this exercise for the first time, this solo round in uh, 2017, and it was very helpful for me. It was very, um, it was very cool to self-reflect on the things that happened in 2017. So today I'm going to repeat that, and I hope you'll join me for this journey. Uh, of uh, the things that I learned, of the top seven things that I learned in 2018. And if this is your first time listening to an episode like this, then uh, just a quick heads up to manage our expectations that this is an episode not on data science. So we're not going to be talking about data science learnings or um, business learnings or any, like, there will be some professional learnings, but mostly it's personal growth. My personal growth in the year and the reason I record these episodes is so that I can have like an archive of my own learnings for the future. So I, in case I forget some things, I want to revisit a year, then I can listen to it. And plus, of course, I want to share my journey with you guys because we've been along the way the whole year uh, right there with me. Before we get started, I wanted to mention one more thing that this podcast, we're going to mention a lot of materials. There's going to be a lot of resources, whether it's blogs, videos, articles, books that uh, you can reference and uh, learn a bit more about uh, from if you're interested in certain topics. Uh, all of these references can be found at superdatascience.com slash 221. That's www.superdatascience, one word, dot com slash 221. There you will also find the transcript for this episode if you'd like to check it out. So there we go. Make sure to find your resources there so that you're, you know where to find them. And on that note, let's dive straight into it. So in 2018, there, of course, there was, I'm sure we all have plenty of learnings, like dozens, if not more than that. Um, but I think it's also important to identify what are the top ones because you can't take away everything. You can't remember everything. You'll end up paralyzed by choice or there'll be just too much to remember. So in 2017, I identified the top seven and that's what I would like to do. Well, that's what I've done for uh, 2018 as well. So we're going to be talking about the top seven learnings. And the first one, the very, very first one, we're going to start off 
uh, with a physical learning. By the way, you might hear a bit of wind. I'm sitting in a forest. Um, well, sitting on a porch in a forest, so there might be a bit of wind here and there, um, and some birds chirping. Uh, please, please don't mind that. That's just my way of getting inspiration for this episode. All right, so um, yeah, so we're gonna start with a physical learning, and that is about diets and food. So in um, in March or April this year, I think it was in April. I went to Bali and there I did a 10-day fast. Exactly, yes. I, I also thought it was impossible, but actually it is really very doable. So I did a 10-day fast. Um, it wasn't a water fast, so you may have heard of water fast where you just drink only water and you don't eat anything, absolutely anything at all. It was a supervised fast with um, some elements of juices like a couple times a day you'd have a watermelon juice or like a lime juice celery juice something very very simple just to give you the vitamins um and but there was absolutely no fats and no proteins at all and basically in those juices you would get maybe up to 150 max i think 200 calories per day total um and so that that was enough to keep you fasting. That's how this fast is designed. It's run by a group called the, or a retreat called the Natural Instinct Healing (NIH). Highly recommend checking them out. Um, I found out about them through a YouTube channel I follow called Sailing La Vagabond, where Elena did that same fast, and then I went to check it out. It was really really cool. Um, so. What happens in that fast or when you fast is for the first three days, you feel super hungry. You feel like you're starving, you really want to eat and you, you're just like craving food all the time. But then after day three, what happens is your body, generally speaking on average for people, your body kicks into something called the ketosis mode where, uh, this is how I, I understand it, where you're, you're not burning carbs for energy anymore your body's not expecting to burn carbs because you're not giving it any carbs right like when you eat you carbs such as potatoes bread pasta um, fruits vegetables those are all carbs they they are your body's primary source of energy well now that it's not been getting carbs for three days it kicks into ketosis mode and it starts consuming fat as the primary source of energy and that is where that is where your reserves are stored. Your body stores reserves in fat. It's an efficient way of storing nutrients, or not nutrients, more it's calories that uh, you intake throughout your life. Uh, when there's excess, it stores them as fat. And so it starts burning the fat that you have in your body. Um, and that's how you can rapidly lose weight. And basically, you're in a different type. I, I'm like I'm not a doctor, but I think it's even a different type of metabolism that you enter or different phase kind of, of metabolism. I might be wrong in terms of terminology there, but you move away from using a carbs as your primary source to fats as your primary source. Um, and, and after day three, you stop being hungry. Very interesting. You may have heard other people say that. I've heard people say that before, definitely, where after day three of uh, dieting, you stop feeling that craving for food, stop feeling super hungry. You're still losing weight. Uh, you still don't have as much 
um, like as like some things are different and it depends on the person like some people will experience headaches some people will experience dizziness um, I I personally experienced only dizziness when I was standing up from a lying down, down position I started experiencing a bit of dizziness um, and some people like lose a lot of weight some people um, you know feel very sick the interesting part is most of these side effects are not actually attributed to you not having nutrition. Yes, you'll probably feel like less energy, like you'll feel a bit like, I wouldn't say lethargic, but you'd feel like a bit that you're not as strong and you, you're like, obviously you're not getting any food. So um, you're not, not operating at the same capacity as before, but at the same time, it's surprising. Like it's surprising how much strength you have that you're actually feeling feeling generally great except for some side effects and the funny thing is that most of these side effects are attributed to not the diet itself but all the toxins coming out and this is interesting because toxins are actually fat soluble or a lot of toxins are fat soluble rather than water soluble so your your body's natural defense to when you consume toxins or when toxins get into your body throughout your lifetime because it cannot get them out of your body as quickly. They're not water-soluble. It's not as easy to flush them out. And they keep coming in, like if you're eating junk food or if uh, you're in a bad environment with like lots of pollution and just general like toxins that come in passively into your body. Um, it cannot flush them out as quickly. So what, the, what your body will do is it will create fat to absorb and store those toxins. So it will use fat as a storage facility to get rid of those, kind of like temporarily hide those toxins so they're not affecting your body. So when you're dieting, because it's burning that fat, these toxins start coming out and you're, you're not feeling great. Um, anyway, so 10 days fast, amazing experience, really lets your body rest. Uh, like with natural instinct healing, I learned a lot because they do these workshops and you know, they, uh, there is also like yoga, they take you for walks and so on. Surprisingly, you have a lot of energy, not probably not as much as like when you had a light meal and you're like ready like I wouldn't go probably like have a heavy workout at a gym or do a marathon in that stage but at the same time you have enough energy to like walk around like do various uh, things around the um, like maybe go to the fields go to a swimming pool and you know, just go for a bicycle ride even like we went for a bicycle ride on day seven um, you lose quite a bit of weight, so I lost more than 10% of my weight. I lost just before I started, stopped eating dinner, dinner before the fast. I lost about four kilos, and then during the fast, I lost another four kilos. Um, and that's that's uh, that's how some people lose like up to 20 kilos at these things. It depends on you know, it depends on how you what's level of fitness and health you come into it. Um, but again. I learned a lot of things. So first I learned that I always thought before like, oh, if I miss a meal, I'm gonna, it's gonna be really hard for me. Like I'm going to, um, I'm gonna starve or, or it's not healthy for me. And here I missed total like 30 meal, 30 meals over 10 days, totally feeling totally, totally fine. Um, and I, I realized that actually giving your digestive system a rest is a good idea because a lot of the time, or all our lives, we eat breakfast, lunch, dinner, breakfast, lunch, dinner, breakfast, lunch, dinner. We never give our digestive system a rest, even when we're sleeping. It's always working. And so it wears out. That's, you know, it doesn't have time to restore. It's like if you have a cut on your arm and you keep like scratching it, you don't give it time to rest. And so that inspired me to 
um, to actually, well, that and uh, one of uh, my colleagues, Paolo, later on in the year in June, inspired me to stop eating breakfast. So yeah, exactly. In fact, I haven't had breakfast for six months now, except for like maybe once or twice on occasion I've had breakfast. But for six months now, I haven't had breakfast. I only have two meals a day, lunch and dinner. I make sure to make them big because I'm also vegan. So I have to take in like a ton of calories in order to, um, or like I need to take in a ton of food in in order to have enough calories to not lose weight. So you have to really watch yourself. Like that's the other caveat here. I'm not a doctor. You need to consult with a doctor if you, if any of these are inspiring for you. But like I don't eat breakfast. So my digestive system is resting from, you know, maybe I finish dinner around, like I, finish eating about 10 p.m. and then I start eating lunch around 1 or 2 p.m. So for about 16 hours, my digestive system is resting, maybe 15 hours. Uh, and then that's like a lot of, that's enough time for it to recover. And that helps with like your energy levels, helps with your focus, you save time because you know you don't have to distract yourself with having breakfast. Uh, also helps with like your skin, your um, immune system, your happiness is research showing that there's nerves that are directly linked to your brain from your digestive system. And when your digestive system is not happy, you're not happy. Lots of things. And I've had really great results. And I'm, I'm planning on continuing that. Um, so yeah, that's, that's that part about not eating and fasting. Um, to, to sum this up, I thought it was a great experience. I like to experiment with my diet and uh, see how things go and, you know, what I prefer, what I don't. If that, any of this sounded really interesting to you, then be very cautious about it and careful. Like, it really depends on person to person and you have to track these things. So, like, I do my blood tests at least once a year. I do body fat checks. I make sure to get enough exercise. I monitor how I feel. I, if I don't have enough some, of something in my diet, I take supplements and I do blood tests again. I, I use apps on my phone to monitor what I'm eating, how many calories I'm intaking. So you got to be very careful about these things and conscious about what you're doing. But that was a really cool learning for me and I'm definitely going to do that 10-day uh, fast again. Very excited. It's a very peaceful time where you get to relax and calm down. Of course, like I was doing work, but um, this in the next year, I'm planning on really slowing down during that time and I, I really enjoyed it. Um, so that was, uh, and that, by the way, if I didn't mention that was in Bali, yeah, I, I did, I, I think I did mention. Okay. So that was a 10 day fast, uh, and what I learned there. Point number two, and the subtitle on all of these, as you probably remember from last year, all of these will have little subtitles of what is happening. Um, be there for the people you love. It's a long subtitle, but it's worth it. So. On this one, I won't go into too much detail, unlike the other ones. Um, but what I will say here is, sometimes in your life, like we all have people who we love and we have people who love us, even if sometimes we're not really aware of it or pay that much attention to it. But basically, sometimes people, people will in general, regardless of your relationships, them some. Sometimes people will go through hard times and sometimes they will need, they'll need somebody there, they'll need help. But some people will ask for that help and are aware and um, 
confident enough to do that sometimes people won't whether they're not confident enough to ask for that help or whether they're unaware of their own troubles or they have an ego that's preventing them from doing that there can be many reasons why they don't do that and but they still need they need somebody to show them that the you're there for them and you love them and what i want to say here is that look out for those situations when you when somebody you know somebody you care about you feel that you're like they're getting a bit distant or something's changed something's different and, and you don't see that they're very happy or as happy as they used to be or they look it looks like they're entering a rough patch don't don't shy away from like reaching out to them and telling them that you're there or don't wait maybe like wait for a little bit or like for a few days until like for them to reach out to you first like so you don't intrude on their space but if you feel that something's going on don't shy away from reaching out and the thing here is like you don't necessarily need to go in there and tell them something's wrong you need to help and stuff like that don't try to fix things right away just tell them that you know that you love them that you're there for them and a little sign of love from you something that might seem very little to you could actually mean the world to them and um i personally had an experience like that this year again i won't go into detail on this um but it made me realize how important these things can be and i just wanted to share that with you that maybe you you have somebody in your life that might be going through some difficulties and they might need a little sign of love um so some here are some tips uh for like in engaging people in in that are going through maybe going through something difficult again i'm not a psychologist I, these these are these are my from my experience um every situation might be different and maybe it's a good idea to as, consult some specialists on this but first thing i'll say is like don't try to change them don't try to like barge in there and say okay we need to fix this fix this you're doing this wrong you know this is this is hurting you you need to um you know you need to stop that you need to start this and so on don't try to change them right just show them that you accept them no matter what that's that's very important otherwise they'll close up uh you are showing that you're there for them you love them unconditionally and that they will um and kind of be aware that they will change when they are ready that's that's something um something important i found you know i've had actually situations similar situations throughout the throughout my life and uh, before i didn't always understand that people will change only when they are ready sometimes you try to push somebody like i remember a few years ago i was pushing my youngest brother to get his driver's license get a driver's license you know you're already like 18 or 19 you should get a driver's license. and he and he just refused and and now i realize he just wasn't ready and you know what good have could have come out of him getting it when he's not ready that's just dangerous so he he went and applied for his driver's license when he was ready so th- things like that they'll change when they are ready once again um every situation is unique maybe this advice is not applicable um in in every specific situation okay so that was number 2 be there for the people you love learning number 3 and kind of like ties in well with learning number 2 is is one more person that you really need to take care of and that is you and the learning number 3 is called personal space so what i want to say about personal space um we're all different 
we some people are introverts some people extroverts some people are ambiverts yes there's a there's a trendy new term ambivert when you you're in between introvert and extrovert um, i think daniel pink has that in his book somewhere um so yeah introverts extroverts ambiverts there's also lots of different psych psychological tests um some people like this is a Myers-Briggs test, which I really love. I'm a, I'm an INTJ, and I know that about myself. I need, you know, there's there's lots of things that, that are good, and lots of things that I need to be aware of, conscious of. But like that's a great test if you want to look it up. It's called Myers-Briggs personality test. Once you do that test, you get four letters in some some versions. Um, you get five version, uh, five five letters with a, a or a T on the end. Um, and yeah, it's, it's really fascinating to see your personality described through one of those tests. There's a, there's a disc test, um, and there's, there's another one, I forgot what it's called. Um, but yeah, there's lots of personality tests and you, you can, people have, we all have different personalities, different kind of preferences, needs, desires, or the way we perceive things, the way, the way we act and behave and, and so on. And what I found is that a lot of, like, I personally, that's out of me, I personally need quite a lot of personal space. So I'm a type of person, I find myself that I'm introverted, even though, yes, like, I, I can go on stage, or yes, I can go and present something to a board of directors, I can be very engaging and so on, but that's not what introvert, extrovert is about. Introvert, extrovert, in my understanding, uh, is how do you recharge energy do you recharge energy by being by yourself or by being out there with others so for me like i find it energy consuming to be out there for us i want to give i want to be out there but then to recharge i need to need to have some quiet time like read a book or or have my own thoughts listen to some music have a bath go for a walk you know like just be on my own and to my to myself now I recharge. Some people recharge by being with friends and, and being social. All, all are fine. Um, but what I find is that I need quite a bit of personal space. And I, I think from my observations, I think actually everybody needs a bit of personal space. Some people more, some people less. So for instance, I need quite a bit, quite a lot of personal space uh, and, and often. But um, whatever the personality of a person I've encountered, I, I found that everybody needs at least... A little bit at least like a couple of hours a week of personal space and that is a good opportunity to maybe if you don't recharge that way it's a good opportunity to like be with yourself and like not lose who you are not and also um, self-reflect like even if you're capable of not losing who you are while you've heard the people you oftentimes won't have time to self-reflect when you're by yourself even if you don't use that time, you're not using that time to recharge, you can use that time to self-reflect on your learnings, on your growth, on your goals, on your vision, on, on how you're feeling, and, and things like that, to connect with yourself. That connection with yourself, I think, is important for everybody. Um, and uh, you, you might find, actually, you'll find some people will say they don't need that. Like, there might be, actually, you might be listening to this, and you might be thinking, no, 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 there's no way I don't need that. Well, this might not be applicable to you, um, but what I've found is that often when people say that, when people say that I, d 
definitely don't need any personal space. In fact, I prefer not to spend time by myself. They're, I found that they're running from something, that they're trying to, um, they're like even afraid to be on their own with themselves, with their thoughts. And like right away when you're left with yourself, you, you pull out your phone, you start texting other people and so on. Um, because like maybe there's some, some sort of, some sort of fears that prevent you from being on your own. You're afraid to discover something like you're afraid to just where your mind, where your consciousness will take you. And I think that's something that needs to be resolved. Like I think all of us should be comfortable being by ourselves and being by ourselves. I don't mean like on your phone, texting or on social media or watching YouTube or Facebook videos or going on nine gag and watching some gifts and stuff like that. No, like by yourself, I mean, like the old school, you know, some, some, um, you know, the, was the generation Z's listening to this might find this a bit too traditional or too old school where you like, you just by yourself and your phone's off or, you know, it's in flight mode and you're just reading a book or looking at the nature or just listening to some music with your eyes closed. Um, that kind of side or by yourself. Now, Th that's I think is very important that's personally why I like long distance flights especially when I'm on my own because like I well now it's they, they're starting to have wi-fi but still most of the time you're like disconnected from online and you can actually just do something outside of uh, online the online world or outside of all this chaos and the reason why I think it's important to have that time to yourself is um, because when we are constantly like in this world is becoming so hyper connected. So like so many distractions, our attention spans are gone, have gone down to that of a goldfish. And when you're in this world all the time with all this technology, like uh, we work in data science, so we all know what's, what it's like and how the, you know, algorithms all think and how they, they promote more and more stuff to you. Like, it's very easy to get caught up and constantly never have a minute to yourself. And you kind of lose who you are. You lose yourself in all this um, minutia and all this running around, all this, all these distractions, basically. Yeah, and, and then your brain starts to crave them, and, and that's how your life is. And in uh, the 2017 learnings, we were talking about... Um, being in the now like living in the moment and that just goes away you when you're caught up running around and uh, with all these distractions you life just passes by very quickly um so yeah um with that in mind like i i tr i aim to have consciously find time for myself where i'm not on social media and just like can't self-reflect, I'm not distracted by anybody. And I've uh, started a new policy for myself where uh, one night per month for about 24 hours, you know, starting around 3 p or like 3 p.m. or so, and then until lunchtime the next day. Um, so for one night a month, I go away and just by myself. Like I go to, I don't know, right? like right now, for instance, I... I'm in a mountain, it's called Mount Tambourine in uh, Gold Coast. So, woohoo, if you're from Queensland, Australia. So, I'm in Mount Tambourine and 
I go away and I spend one night by myself just off social media um, and doing something that I want to do. Like maybe I'll have um, have a hike or a walk or I'll uh, read a book or, you know, like I, I like baths, so I might have a bath. I'm... Maybe like yesterday I watched a documentary about uh, the German World War II German boats, uh, submarines, U-boat. Um, and, you know, learned something new, something, you know, completely unrelated to my profession, completely unrelated to things I do normally. Just happened to stumble upon that and decided that that's something I want to learn. And, and I did that. So that's, uh, there's, a, there's a parrot right here. Uh, they, these are, I don't even know what these are called. You can hear it though. Um, let me see if I can take a photo. Oh, he flew it. Okay, so, yeah. Um, so, yeah, one night a month. That's not that much if you think about it. It's 12 nights a year. But that's my way of consciously finding that space for myself. Now, every, again, everybody's different. You might have, you know, especially if you have a family, that might be harder for you to do. But find find your own policy find your own way of creating that space for yourself um and and another thing to keep in mind here is that you need to like in that time try to slow down like right now i'm recording this audio but for me it's it's not really work right like there's other components of my profession that i consider to be work this is more self-reflection for myself for, for fun and uh, that's why I'm totally cool recording it on this time away because I'm, you know, I have a cup of tea here. I've got, I cut up some apples for the, the birds. It's early morning. Uh, there's a sunrise. It's really nice. And yeah, and I'm inspired to do this. So the other thing to keep in mind is it's, it's okay. This whole concept that it's okay to be bored. When we find ourselves in life right now, that we're waiting for something. You're waiting for the tea to boil or something that you... You instantly get on your phone, you start doing something. Try to consider that it's okay, it's actually okay to be bored in this day and age. It, like, it's not normal, it's not, um, not, not normal, but it's not something, it's not common. Like, people are not commonly bored because now we have access to social media and stuff. But think about, like, back in the 18th century or 19th century when, you know, we didn't, people didn't even have cars like they couldn't travel that fast they were often in carriages or they didn't have tv like they were bored all the time and they were fine nobody like died of boredom but it's okay to be bored because that helps your brain to focus self-reflect recharge and then it's totally fine to be bored so just something to keep in mind um and that's that's how you how i would advise to create that personal space for yourself that don't always have to be doing something especially in those times and the final comment on this uh, third point about personal space is relationships um like i love psychology you probably can guess it from from last year's and this year's uh, self-reflection what i learned uh podcast I love psychology and I also love how it affects relationships. And in terms of relationships for this time alone, so some of you might be thinking there like, but you know, like what if I, what if I'm in, in a relationship, I have a girlfriend or a boyfriend, I have a wife or a husband um, and you know, like I love them, I have kids uh, and things like that or I have parents to look after, I have friends, even in that case. But like we, right now we're talking more about intimate relationships. So 
in an intimate relationship, what I found, again, and this was in this year, it was at the start of this year when I was talking to a psychologist, a professional psychologist, and she described to me um, this whole concept of separately but together, that in relationships, you still need to have your separate lives. And that doesn't mean like, having secrets and hiding things from each other no but like separate hobbies separate interests separate groups of friends and so on so that you can grow individually separately but then bring that and feed the relationship with those insights with that knowledge with those experiences and that is different to when you actually mesh together it's not like again i'm not the psychologist here i I don't know these things i i can't I'm not a this is not professional advice, so see, seek some professional advice. But my interpretation is that it's not good to mesh completely. Like if you and the other person become like like this is saying like as one. Well, if you become as one, if you literally like you have you do everything together, you have the same hobbies, same interests. Like maybe it works for some people, but I think that's that's rare. I think I think the I think we still need that individuality so you so you don't lose track of who you actually are you have this life you were born with you're you're a separate human being you have your own consciousness and so meshing that completely with someone can you might fall into a trap of losing track of who that person is who is kirill who really is kirill who is john or who is mary and that's uh, that can have some detrimental effects on the relationship in general. So something to get, something to consider, something to ponder on, separately but together. Um, moving on to point number four, essentialism. So this year I read a book that has been the most impactful book this year and one of the most impactful books in my life. It's actually called Essentialism. The author. Uh, Greg McKeown, very, very high ratings. Um, it was interesting how I came across this book because my my mother follows these some YouTube bloggers, and one of them is this uh, girl that you know like learns lots of new stuff, always constantly growing. She reads plenty of books, like a book a day or you know maybe a book a week. That's how many she reads. And so I decided to check out one of the videos that my mom sent me, and just like I was looking for a book, so I watched it, and she recommended like five books there, and one of them was Essentialism. And it's incredible. It, I highly recommend everybody to check out this book. It helps you identify your priority in life and understand what you want to focus on. And interestingly, I specifically said here priority, not priorities, because that word, and he describes this in Greg McKeown describes it in the book, that that word was never designed to be a plural. Priority is by definition singular or like that's that's how yeah that's by definition it's a singular but we use it as a plural more or we've started using as a plural now everybody says priorities what are your priorities what are my priorities and so on but actually priority is one it's the one thing that you should be focusing on right now and that's what the book's about that you a lot of time we we exert our energy doing many things like so imagine like a circle and it's got lots of little arrows pointing out of it in all directions. That's our lives a lot of the time. We're doing many things, especially with this 
hyper-connected world where we're, we're super distracted all the time. Can't focus on one thing. We're doing many things, whether it's at work, in our relationship, in our lives, in our hobbies, in our personal spaces, and w whatever. We're doing many things and we're putting a little bit of energy into each one. And now imagine the same circle with one huge arrow sticking out into like vertically up into one direction. Now that's what happens when you focus all your energy, all your effort, all your attention onto this one thing. Big difference. When you're doing lots of things, a little bit, you make a little bit of progress in a million things. When you're focusing on one thing, you're making a million steps of progress in one thing. And, uh, and he talks about lots of aspects on starting from why psychologically it's more fulfilling to focus on one thing to why it's more productive and how you can accomplish more like that to choice paralysis and how we have too much choice and how to save yourself from that and how to deal with those situations and how it negatively how that choice paralysis actually makes people sad and in fact in, in some cases depressed and he talks about how to do all these things how to actually focus your attention on one specific thing so for me very impactful book um, but it was one of those cases you know when you're reading it you feel like how this can change your life when you stop reading it you 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 don't implement all the things because I found it's it's difficult it's hard like and it's it's totally like on me to do that and I know it can change my life and I've implemented the things he says a couple of times or some things like very few things mildly I've implemented started implementing throughout but now record like preparing for this podcast writing this out I realized that I'm not doing it near as much as I could be and as I should be and that I'm still like uh, getting caught up in choice paralysis or making decisions not not like uh like one thing he talks about like there is no what ifs now, here's an example from like there is no what ifs right like if if you make a decision you shouldn't ever look back and think what if i had made another decision like if, for instance you're at dinner and you're picking you know should you have pizza or should you have um like a soup you should never like you pick the soup that's it you should never look back and think what if i pick the pizza that's that's where all this um all the sadness from choice paralysis actually come from comes from because we start analyzing what if scenarios but if you don't if you train your mind not to have not to consider these what ifs not to even think about them then you're happy with your pizza and that's it and there is no what if there was there is no possibility of a soup there was no possibility of a soup so you know like i find myself you know still doing the what ifs still focusing on many things and so on it helped me out especially at the time when i was reading it like at, at super day science we we're doing plenty of projects and like you may know that at the start of the year we tried to do a board game project like we developed a really cool board game and we wanted to launch that that didn't go well right but that was one of the reasons was that we were doing too many projects and this book helped me focus especially at the time I was reading focus efforts on just some not my own efforts like even company efforts on some like not one project again we didn't even go that level but like at least get rid of you know half or a couple of projects that weren't necessary and uh, actually the word isn't necessary the word is essential so you, uh, the book teaches you to ask at any point in time in your life whatever you're doing whatever you're looking into 
it trains you to ask, is this essential? Is this thing that I'm about to do, is it essential or is it not essential? If the answer is yes, then you do it. If it's not, then you don't do it. So yeah, like preparing for this podcast, reading this now, I realize I should be doing more of essentialism and I feel like I'm going to, I should, I'm going to reread the book, um, well, or at least my highlights as reading on a Kindle and um, you know, get into the habit of implementing more things. Okay, so check out the book. Uh, we're moving on to the next learning. Parrots are back here. Next learning is learning number five. And learning number five is the RPM system or the Rapid Planning Method by Tony Robbins. Uh, I'm going to take a photo of these parrots for you guys so you can check it out on the podcast page. So yeah, the Rapid Planning Method by Tony Robbins. Really cool productivity system that I came across this year. And like you know, you probably have noticed from the podcast that I'm a big fan of Tony Robbins and his events. I've been to date with Destiny twice. Um, he runs in Australia in May. And uh, I, it also runs in, uh, if anybody wants to check it out, it also runs in Miami. I think it's in December. Oh, well, too, too late this year, but maybe next year. Um, and then I also, I've also been to his business mastery in, uh, where was that? In Las Vegas. I think that was in August. And went to that with Adlan. It was really fun. Uh, but this specific framework that I learned, again, like in, uh, in the last year's learnings, we were talking about trusting life. I think it was learning number six or, or five trust life and this happened absolutely randomly it wasn't i didn't learn this at one of his events i learned this through his breakthrough app which i installed and the first video i watched there out of the three out of the free series was the this rapid planning method and then i actually found that video on youtube so we'll link to it it's a video by tony robbins it's, if you look up rapid planning method by Tony Robbins, there's a couple of videos will come. You don't want the eight-minute video on YouTube. You want the 15-minute video on YouTube. That's the one that I'm referring to here. Anyway, so I came across this RPM system in his uh, a breakthrough app, and it's it's been really transformative. So I'll tell you how transformative it is before I explain it, um, so that you can feel that this is really actually powerful and, and can maybe also be in fact very impactful for you so we implemented this in our business i think we started in may this year so may so june july june july august um so seven months or maybe like start of may so about eight months that's that's what i remember so we've been doing this for about eight months and we've been doing this rpm rapid planning method every week so every person in the business does their rpms on monday morning they have to submit it to this um in Basecamp. we have this um one channel where everybody uploads their rpms on monday or by tuesday um also we have a buddy system where you send your rpm to your buddy for the month and they send the yours theirs to you then you guys catch up and then you review each other's rpms and that has been extremely transformative. We've been doing this whole, our whole business, Super Data Science, everybody in the business has been doing that for eight months. So as you can imagine, that's every single week, about over 30 times we've written up our RPMs. And 
it's uh, had a massive impact on on how we do things, how efficient we are, how we work as a team. Um, and uh, we've had some, we actually ran a survey mid, somewhere in August to see how everybody's going with it. And people were saying like, it's so clear. I'm, I'm enjoying my work so much more now. I can see, you know, how the things I'm doing have an impact and so on. So hopefully I got you excited about RPMs and uh, let's look into what it actually is. So rapid planning, uh, the rapid planning method is a way to plan out what you're going to be doing uh, with your time. It's a productivity, it's a productivity, productivity tool. And so what we normally do is we commonly get caught up thinking about the um, why. So there's, there's three components to what we do. And not only Tony Robbins identifies this, um, there are other mentors uh, like Simon Sinek also identifies this. There's three components. It's the what, the why, and the how. Right? Like what are we going to do, why are we going to do it, and how are we going to do it. And a lot of the time in life, we get caught up with the how. We start thinking, how am I going to, you know, how am I going to get to work today? Or how am I going to do this project or how am I going to um, plan our vacation or how how I'm going to cook this dinner you know like we always think about a how like that's our first impulse to think about the how now Simon Sinek great also mentor or that you can find online lots of videos on YouTube very very cool thoughts um, TED talks as well so what he says is you should start it's, it's, about, it's about the order. How, in what order do you approach these things? The what, the why, and the how. Normally in life, we start with the how. Simon Sinek says that you should start with, um, with the why. Start with the why. He has a TED Talk that is actually titled like that. Start with the why, then go on to the what, and then go on to the how. Right? And he suggests that specifically for business, in the case like, you know, he dry, draws his example, the difference between Microsoft and Apple, you know, that my, uh, um, Microsoft focuses on the what, you know, what do they do? They sell computers, right? Or sell, sell the Windows operating system. Whereas Apple focuses on the why. And why is like just because we're unique, just because we, we want to help you unleash your creative talent and things like that. And then they don't even talk, you know, it's not even in the center of their attention the, that they sell computers. Like, right, they just want to be like, because we want, why is because we want to help you be creative, help you be, uh, unleash your personality and be yourself and so on. And then the what is, well, we just happen to be in the business of selling computers and phones and stuff like that. And that's why they've been so success successful going into other different products because they they start with um, the why, the reason, the reason behind doing things, the, the purpose behind doing things. And then they actually only consider the different products. And, and people who are like Apple fans, they, uh, you know, like, there are some Microsoft fans, but as you can imagine, there's plenty more Apple fans. People who are Apple fans are not fans just of their computers, but they're fans or their phones. They're fans of the the mission of the company, of of the of the how they not the how the the why they do things, the the um, uh, the 
like the purpose behind everything Apple does. Um, it's a bit, it's a bit convoluted. We're not going to go into like or the way I explained it is a bit convoluted. It's actually very clear when you listen to Simon Sinek. So we're not going to go into this right now because that's not not the main one. We want to talk about the Tony Robbins approach, the RPMs. But if you want to listen to Simon Sinek, we'll include a link to to that video. Start with the how. Whereas in the case of Tony Robbins, for personal productivity, so this is not well, maybe also for business as well. But he has a bit of a different opinion. So in terms of personal productivity, he says. Start with the result. Start with the what. Don't start with the, both of them agree that don't start with the how. Don't start with the steps of getting somewhere. Start with, well, in the case of Tony Robbins, start with what exactly is it that you want, right? What do you want to um, accomplish? What What is it that you are after? Do you want to, you know, you want to cook an amazing dinner? Or do you want you want to get to work today? Or you want uh, you want to, you know, like you want to increase sales by five percent within uh, a period of you know six months, something like that—a very specific outcome that you're after. Then on top of that, you don't start. Then next thing is you don't look at the steps. You don't look at the how. You don't look at all right. What do I need to do to get there? No. The next step is you need a purpose. You need to think of Okay, I, I know what I want. Now I need to know why I want it. Why do you want to cook an amazing dinner? Why do you want to get to work today? Why do you want to increase sales by 5% over the, next, over the course of three months? So unless you have a very strong why, you know, like for instance, you, you might be thinking, mm, what do I want? I want... Um, for instance, let's say you're not in a relationship and you want to be in one. You're like, I want in to be in a relationship. I want to be in a loving, caring relationship by the end of 2019. Something like that. Um, and then you, like, unless you have a why for that, unless you understand why you want that, or let's say another one, you want to learn, for instance, I want to learn Spanish by the end of 2019. Unless I have a why for that, unless I have a reason, a strong emotional reason for that, I'm not going to follow through. Like at the start, it might sound really cool to learn Spanish by the end of the year, exciting, amazing, or I would say I want to learn salsa by the end of 2019. I want to be able to dance salsa on an intermediate or advanced level by by the end of 2019. Or I want to learn horse riding. I want to I want to start a business by the end of 2019. I want to get a new job. I want to become a data scientist. I want to get a promotion by the end of, by the middle of 2019, by July, whatever. That's cool. But why do you want it? Like, it might sound exciting right now. It might be, you know, like influenced by other people or something you read, something that you might want right now. But times are going to change. Times are going to become difficult. Things are going to become harder. So things are going to, uh, you know, other things are going to come into the, um, into your life and in order to maintain that focus over the long term and actually achieve your goal you need to have a strong reason why and it shouldn't be just like um, a reason like a logical reason it should be it should be an emotional reason a reason that you know like why do I want to learn Spanish it can't be just like oh because I want to have an extra language in my arsenal who cares like as soon as things become tough or you know like and then I don't have time or I'll do um, I'll have to be working on something else I I'll forget about this goal I'll 
I will deprioritize it. I will not give it enough focus, and it'll slip. It'll slip through the cracks. Or, you know, I want to become a great chef by the end of 2019. Like, why? You know, is it if it's just to impress people? Then you're you're doing it for the wrong reason. So, come up with a strong why, strong reason. Like, for instance, why do you want? Why do I want to learn Spanish? So I can go and live in Colombia and experience a brand new culture, open up a new world for myself and experience amazing, amazing things. You can feel how that's so much more emotional than just having a new language in my arsenal and being able to, um, you know, order myself across, like not across on like, um, like a coffee in, a, in Spain or something like that. Much more emotional. Um, so let's say, why do I want to become a great chef by the end of 2019? Um, if it's just like to show people my skills or to impress my friends, not gonna, not gonna cut it. How about I want to learn to be, I want to become a great chef by the end of 2019 so that I can cook amazing healthy meals for myself and my family and show uh, and and continue enjoying food while still being vegan and discover brand new recipes that are going to blow my mind and those of those around me. How cool is that? It's not just about like impressing people. It's about how you know eating healthy, um, introducing people to the to like the vegan cuisine and um, exploring things, learning. And in the previous in the 2017 learnings, we talked about the six needs. Your purpose should be tied in with your needs. The six needs are certainty, uncertainty, or in other words, variety, um, love and connection, significance, growth, and contribution. So your needs should be tied. So your why, your purpose, um, it should be tied in with your needs. So for instance, in this case, like you know, growth and uh, uncertainty, like variety, exploring new things and. Um, love and connection, introducing other people to this food and so on. And so that's, that's another example. So think of something that you want, especially now that we're coming to like the setting of New Year resolutions and goals, you know, like you, do you want to, you know, do you have some health goals? Do you have some professional goals? Do you have some personal goals? Do you have some, um, you know, hobbies that you want to take up and, and things like that? Like, Think of a resolution that you're setting for yourself, a goal, but think of it in terms of this whole RPM system. Like, what's the purpose of getting there? Like, what's the purpose of you setting that goal? Like, is it something, if, if your purpose is not strong enough, like, if you can't find a strong enough purpose, then you're setting yourself your own goal. But if you can find, if, or other alternative, if your purpose is not strong enough, you should look for a stronger purpose, right? If you can't find one, wrong goal. If you can, great. Then that will help you achieve it faster and more with more certainty actually get there so yeah think of a goal that you're setting for yourself for next year or in general even throughout the year you might be setting yourself a goal and understand try to understand the purpose behind it um, even like say at work you're doing like a data science project right the purpose can't just be so I can get, so I can deliver this project to my boss or so I can deliver it to my manager. The purpose, you should see the bigger purpose. And if you don't, ask your manager to help you see the bigger purpose. Like, why are you doing this customer segmentation for this uh, product that your company is selling? Like, for this new promotion that you're selling? Is it just to make more money? Then that's the wrong purpose. The purpose should probably, the, if you dig deeper, 
the business has a proper purpose for it. For instance, it's to to serve our customers better and make sure that we're not spamming with them with random offers, but delivering them very tailored uh, product suggestions that will help enhance their lives. Much better, right? Like you're there's there's a lot of love and connection there. There's a lot of uh, there's some contribution there. Um, you're contributing to people's lives. Uh, there's, um, you know, maybe maybe you can add a bit of like, so that I, like you want to also in the process, you want to learn a new segmentation technique and a new machine learning algorithm. And then, then instantly there's now growth involved in that. And, and now this this task meets three of your needs instead of zero, you know, making more money for the company or delivering to your boss. That's zero needs. But now it meets three of your needs out of six. And all of a sudden you're going to be much more excited about doing it. So it's, you can see why. Like it took us quite a while to get here in this uh, uh, in this part five of uh, of the learnings for 2018. Like we started off with Simon Sinek, and then like or or kind of like the purpose or the impact RPMs had Simon Sinek. So it took us quite a while to get here, but hopefully now you can see how this is super powerful, and the power actually sits in this letter P and the purpose. That you know the result that you want, and Tony Robbins gives us a great example. I highly recommend, highly recommend watching that 15-minute video on YouTube. We'll link to it. It's it's going to like you know you'll get a second explanation or the original explanation of all these things. Tony Robbins describes it as you know the result is like imagine somebody throws a pin at you or like a needle, a needle, like somebody throws a little needle at you. It's not even gonna hurt that much. It's just gonna like bounce off. You might feel a prick, right? So that's that's kind of like your result that you want, but without a purpose. But if you now add a really strong, powerful, emotional purpose to it, it's like adding a a massive metal rod behind, like attaching a metal rod rod to that pin or to that needle, and then throwing like that, boom, like straight through your heart, that whole needle of the metal rod. It's like pierce you, and you will actually feel it. You will actually feel the impact of that. That's how powerful it is to add a strong emotional, again, not logical, emotional purpose, something that you can emotionally attach to, and even when times are tough, it's going to pull you through. That's how powerful it is to add an emotional, strong purpose to the results you have. And so once you have the result, the R, the P, the purpose, then you move on to the M, and the M stands for Massive Action Plan. Now, now is the only time when you get to think of the steps of getting there. Right, like now you know that you want to learn, or say, I want, I know I want to learn Spanish by the end of 2019. How am I going to get there? Well, what? And I know, I know, I want to learn Spanish by the end of 2019. I want, I know the the purpose, not just to show off or not to just have a, but actually to move and live in Colombia or somewhere in South America and and um, experience that culture and lifestyle and and talk to the people in their own language and. Uh, see a whole new world that I've never witnessed and never and I know exists, but I don't even know what it's like. Um, so I have the result, the purpose. Now, how am I going to do that? Well, you know, step one is like download Duolingo on my phone. It's a free app for learning languages and do, you know, that's step one. Step two, do 30 minutes of Duolingo per day, every single day and put that into my calendar. Another cool thing is, you know, with this massive action plan, put that into your calendar. That's that way, it's much more likely to get done. Um, 
next is you know sign up like by in february sign up for some spanish classes and do those uh, like intense spanish training for for two for two weeks or three weeks uh next step step four maybe go and visit south america for the first you know i've i've already been been like for the first time in 2019 um and go and uh travel through through parts of south america or or maybe you know maybe sign up for a salsa class in south america somewhere and, and do that or maybe um, go or if, if for instance if I don't have the opportunity to travel whether it's like financially or uh, time-wise like there's other ways so I sign up to a Spanish-speaking meetup group in Australia in Brisbane or in Gold Coast and attend that every Friday night or attend or you set myself like every Friday night is a bit like vague you know set, set myself a go like attend four or eight of those meetups um, you know, make some Spanish friends and, and go do hobbies with them and, or, you know, make, make myself a goal to, um, you know, like go on a trip with some Spanish friends and, and when, or here's another action plan that whenever I meet with my Spanish friends, ask them to talk only Spanish to me, you know, like instantly you start getting all these ideas and, and then plan them out and, and get to your goal by the end of 2019 that's, you know, like, or my goal, learn, learn Spanish. So, and the cool thing is that, um, or not the cool thing, the, the actual thing is that in a, like in life, we too often start the other way around. We start with the massive action plan. We start with, how am I going to get there? Like, oh, Spanish. Okay, cool. How am I going to get there? Blah, 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 blah. Right? So you don't, you just think, okay, I want to learn Spanish. You don't set yourself a, a proper goal. That's not really a proper goal. A proper goal has to be smart. So your purpose, so your results should be smart, specific, measurable, attainable, um, relevant, and time bound. So specific, learn Spanish um, to what level? You know, if I learn two words in Spanish, is that Spanish? If I learn how to, order myself uh you know a cup of tea by the way in colombia they put cheese in everything so my my colombian colleagues showed me that that they put uh you know they put cheese and coffee it's crazy i saw that i saw that myself and tea so they put a block of cheese into tea and uh amazing right like you know something that you'd never think about they have i think they eat more cheese than people in france um anyway so uh, so if I learn how to order myself a tea with cheese in it in Spanish, is that learning Spanish? That, that, you know, and that's why a lot of people fail. Like they say, they say, um, I want to learn Spanish, but what does it involve? You know, how to what level? So you, you need to set a specific goal. I want to learn Spanish um, to an intermediate or advanced level, whatever level you decide to an advanced level by by the end of 2019. And how are you going to measure that? Well, you're going to take a test. You know, like there's there has to be some sort of Spanish language test that you can sit down and actually um, take the test and see, you know, like I want to get a score 9 out of 10 or that's maybe high. I want to get a score of 7 out of 10 on this test in reading, writing, listening and speaking on average, you know, by the end of 2019 and a minimal score of 6 or, or 5 um, in, in any one of those four. So that's the specific. Then uh, measurable, right? That's Well, that's the measurable part. Like specific, I want to learn it to an advanced level. Measurable is you're going to measure it with a test. Um, a is attainable. So it, it can't be like a goal that's ridiculous. Like obviously we want to have some moonshot goals we, that we want to set ourselves like to, to go for. Uh, but here you also want to, you know, it has to be something to think about. 
it has to be attainable and sustainable, right? It has to be something that you can get to, but you know, it doesn't cost you like, it, like learning Spanish in a month, it's attainable, but that pace is not sustainable, right? You, you're not going to sustain other parts of your life in that, in that kind of goal. So the goal has to be basically think of a goal that is not going to be so hard that is you're going to have to throw your whole life at it to, to get it done. Again, like I'm a bit hesitant about like giving this advice because I I believe in moonshots. Sometimes you you want to set yourself like a goal, you know, um, like I don't know, something something ridiculously crazy like become a pro basketball player by the end of the year. But you set those goals in order. Even if you don't achieve it, what you do achieve is going to be still great. So, but in the for the purpose of the RPM, set yourself an attainable goal, something that you know you will be able to accomplish something that's not not too unrealistic but just requires some, requires investment of time hard work and focus that's attainable uh r is relevant uh, it has to be a relevant goal like uh, you know to to like it ties in with your purpose if you have a good purpose then you have a relevant goal right so um yeah uh, you know, like i don't know maybe um I don't know. Like, yeah, that's that's exactly it. So if you if you have a if you're gonna be able to find a good purpose, then you've set yourself a relevant goal. So don't don't worry too much about that. It's more kind of like for professional side of things, right? Like, why should a business, I don't know, do this customer segmentation when it doesn't want really want to sell that product, that type of thing. Um, but again, there's then there's no purpose behind it. So relevant is taken care of by the purpose, and then time bound, set a time frame, right? So learn Spanish not good enough learn spanish by january or by december so yeah so and then once you have that like we, we got we got uh sidetracked a lot of the time we start with the massive action plan so we go backwards we we start with the how am i going to get there what are the steps to get there but it's really hard to get where where are you going where are you going to get you don't have a goal set right you don't have a smart goal set so you're going you're learning spanish but how are you going to measure that you learn Spanish? How, how, what kind, what level of Spanish do you want to learn? By when do you want to learn? It's really hard to get where, somewhere where you don't know where you're going. So that's why in the RPM system, the cool style, the cool thing is that we start with where we want to go. Like, what do we want to accomplish? Um, why we want to accomplish it? The purpose. And the good thing is, the, the, the exciting thing is that once you have those two figured out, it becomes extremely easy to come up with ideas how to get there. You get, you're inspired because you have such a strong purpose and you know exactly where you're going. It's so clear. Your, your target is so clear. It becomes very easy to come up with ideas on how to get there. And, and a lot of the time there's many ways to get there. Like if you want to come from, from where you are now to, I don't know, let's say to... New Orleans. <laughs> it would be very funny if you're listening to this in New Orleans. You want to go to New Orleans in the U.S. Um, you can get there by train. You can get there by plane. You can get there by car. You can get there by boat. You can walk there. You can take a bicycle there. You can combine some of the things. You can get a plane to New York. Then you can get a train. You can take a bus. Uh, there's there's lots and lots of ways of getting to the same goal, right? So when if you start by thinking about the way you're going to get there, you're going to limit yourself. You're going to think in the box. But if you start by thinking about what you want and why you want it, 
then all of a sudden, now you have a very clear target, you have a very strong purpose of why you want to get there. And now you're going to come up with all these ideas of how to get there. And then you just pick the best ones and combine them into the approach that's, that's actually going to get you there um, in your time frame. So there we go. That's the RPM system. Uh, very, very powerful. It changes your mindset from thinking about actions, from like a action-driven mindset to a results-driven mindset. Once again, you want to move away from an action-driven mindset where you're like spontaneous, you're like um, very like chaotically just do actions. You want to move away from that to a results-driven mindset. And you want, if you have a business, you want to move your business towards that. That's exactly what we did at Super Data Science. Now, when we talk, we talk in results. We talk and we think in results terms. We, we set up meetings. There's, a, there's usually a result that we want to achieve. Or, you know, meetings probably we haven't mastered it that much. But when we set up projects, every time, what's the result we want from this project? Not let's just do this or let's do a segment date, like results. It's very specific, measurable, actionable, attainable. Uh, relevant time bound what's the result we want we want this segmentation or we want this uh, email copy or we want this video produced by this date blah blah, blah. then right away purpose why to you know inspire our students to learn artificial intelligence and master the full world model which will empower their careers and help them change the world for the better and then the massive action plan how we're going to get what we want done so yeah, very, very powerful tool and highly recommend checking it out. Check out um, our podcast notes, show notes for more uh, on these, for more the, of the links on the materials we discussed. Okay, point number six, these parrots are going crazy. There's like a, an army of parrots attacking. All right, point number six, do what you want. I don't know about you, but I find myself often somehow doing what other people want. Like just, I might be in the middle of doing something like, why am I doing this again? This is not, not what I wanted. This is what somebody else wanted for this to happen or for me to do this. And, um, and it's, just, it's just such a peculiar feeling. Like how do you end up in these situations which you... And it originally didn't intend for, but somebody else wanted them. We'll talk more about how that happens in the next point, in point number seven. But in this point, I just want to like separate it. I, I was thinking of maybe making point number six as a part of point number seven, but I think it's so important that it deserves its own space in, in this top seven list. And... <clears throat> What I wanted to separate out is it's always important to know what you want and to do what you want. Of course, you have to consider other people and you don't want to hurt anybody. You Intentionally, you don't want to cause harm to people. Sometimes people will get hurt just because of their own perception of things, but that has nothing to do with you. you that's out of your control. So it's important to separate those things. Again, we'll talk a bit more about that in point number seven, but for now... Let's just agree that it's important to know what you want and to do what you want. And that first part is crucial because unless you know what you want or when you don't know what you want, you start doing what other people want because it's kind of like there is no captain at the ship and somebody else takes over. So 
figure out what you want in parts of your life where you don't know what you want. What do you want from your career? What do you want from... Uh, what do you want in your relationship? What do you want in your hobbies? What do you want um, for this weekend? What do you want for February? What do you want for this whole year for yourself? Like, figure out the things that you want. Understand why you want them. Ties in a little bit with the RPM system, like the purpose, why you actually want those things. And then go and do them. And don't, as long as, like, these, these things that you truly desire with your heart... Nobody should be able to stop you or change your trajectory. And important thing to see here is that those people who are, are truly meant to be in your life and who are truly important will understand and will support you no matter what your choices are, no matter what, you're, what it is you're pursuing. Um, and it can be right or wrong at the time. You, it doesn't always have to. You, we're, not all, we're not robots. We're not always going to be right. Sometimes we will make mistakes and people understand that. Sometimes you'll look back and you'll realize something was a mistake, but that's okay as well. But regardless, people will support you. Those people who are going to throw tantrums and, and be upset that you're not doing what they want, you don't want those people in your life. You want, you want people who are going to be supportive and who you essentially it's your life. You want to live it the way you want to live it. So something to keep in mind, you should... Do what you want. <laughs> and uh, for me, it was a big realization that um, uh, I need to do more of that. And I started prioritizing my desires, my wants. And that's, it's, been, it's been difficult, of course, because people are kind of like used to the way you operate. And also there's societal pressures, there's norms that, you know, like there's things that people expect from each other in society already or in your circle of friends or circle of acquaintances or um, just the people you hang out with or their cultural their certain cultural expectations um, like a good example watch a movie recently called the big sick right it's about a guy from Pakistan in the US and his parents expect him to get married to a Pakistani girl and they continuously bring these Girls, it's a funny comedy. It's a romantic comedy slash drama, um, like one of the best movies I've seen. If you if you haven't seen The Big Sick, highly recommend. Um, and so his parents keep bringing, especially his mom, keeps bringing these uh, girls or these ladies to when he comes over for dinner to the parents' house. He uh, they keep uh, bringing these girls for him to meet and like setting up an arranged marriage. And like they just happen to be in the neighborhood and they come in, but so obviously all arranged. Um, and but he doesn't want that. He wants something else. He wants to to uh, like fall in love and actually be in love and marry the person that he's in love with. And he meets this one um, American girl, and he has to hide it from his parents. And again, there's conflict because there's some pressures that he can't do what he wants. There's certain expectations of him. He has to do what other people want and for instance his older brother or younger brother already fell into that um, kind of pressure and really got married uh, not sure if there was like the story doesn't say whether they were in love or not but like his, even his brother already did what his parents wanted so it's his turn now and and but he doesn't want to do that and so that that causes conflict when he wants to do something but he can't and of course you know 
uh, causes some drama in uh, in their family and so on. Um, but that's like a very radical example of certain pressures that are applied to a human being for them to do not what they want, but what they're expected to do, whereas they want to do something else. And then you have the choice. Do I do what my parents want and, and what I'm traditionally meant to do and then please them? Or do I go down the calling of my heart? When you watch something like that, it's pretty obvious, right? Like when you're watching the movie, you're, there's no question about it. He should go and follow his heart. But really, we have those situations every single day in our lives all the time like if you just look at um look at your day to day and look at like what happened in the past couple days with you or past weeks or past months i'm not i'm not saying it has to be in family it might be at your work it might be in general in your career it might be uh in your hobbies it, it might be it, it can be in any kind of circumstance but the, when those situations are not so pronounced not so radicalized like an arranged marriage and and again there's nothing I'm not saying there's anything wrong for arranged marriage I'm just saying some people that's some that's what some people want and that's totally fine as well but when those situations are small and in your day-to-day life they're hard to see harder to see and we fall into the trap or into the habit of following those expectations and like kind of sacrificing our freedom of choice or will just you know going on these little um like we convince ourselves that this is a little one it's okay i'll just do what they want that's that's not a problem like no big deal for me but the more you do that the more you get into the habit of doing that and that becomes your life you like little things and bigger things and huge things you just no longer ever do what you want and when in the rare circumstances when you do what you want it causes a lot of drama in your life so you are now being conditioned not to do it again so just something to keep in mind and um a good good idea a good exercise is to look back in your life and and see when was something i wanted to do but i couldn't because that's not what other people wanted and i didn't do it you know why and why did that happen and then maybe think of something that you do want to do maybe you want to go on a trip somewhere or maybe you want to learn something that uh, like you've always wanted to but you've never had the time because other people want you to be doing other things or maybe when you you want to um do something with your career that's different to what you're doing now um there's a lot there may be lots of things that you've always wanted to do but never actually got around to doing or uh, have been restricted or even restricted from doing so there we go um important to know what you want and extremely important to do what you want and ultimately something to also keep in mind is at the end of the day, if all of us, just imagine this world, where all of us on this planet did what we wanted to do, right? On one hand, it might seem sound like it's going to be chaos, but actually not. It's actually going to be, everybody's going to be, everybody's going to be better off, right? Because there's not going to be any um, pleasing of each other or bending to other people's wills. We just, we're humans and we're supposed to be able to do what we want. And at the end of the day, people, when you break those expectations people have of you, they will learn something from that as well, even though they might be upset. That's that's the point here. So to sum up, do what you want. Know what you want and do what you want. Okay, so that was point number six. Hope that's empowering and help you maybe take a new step in your life. 
Uh, point number seven, and this is this is the best. I think this is the best out of the seven. I've saved the best for last. Um, a very very powerful learning. I think it's the most powerful learning for me this year. Very interestingly, I just learned this concept in December, so only a few weeks ago, and yet it was a it really helped a lot of things fall into their places. So point number seven is called victim consciousness triangle. So yes, it's a it's another psychological thing. It's a psychological framework. Um, as we we mentioned, as I already mentioned on this podcast, I'm a big fan of psychology and like drilling into these things, understanding how psychology works. And I've in my uh, in the past couple of years, I've discovered quite a few psychological frameworks and uh, even just just in the space of relationships I think I've discovered like three and this is by far the most powerful one of them all Um, the victim consciousness triangle is also called the Karpman drama triangle you can look it up it was developed back in the I think it was the 1960s uh, by who was it what was his name Stephen by Stephen Karpman in the 1960s. Uh, then again, it was popularized in uh, recently uh, by Lynn Forrest. So you can find some of her materials. I'll try to keep this part short because there's a lot uh, of very interesting things to do with this Karpman triangle. Um, and then I'll mention some additional materials where you can find uh, and dig deeper. So this whole victim consciousness triangle was mentioned to me by one of my mentors. His name is Ken, and I found it fascinating. So I can't wait to share share with you. Let's dive right into it. So imagine a diagram of a triangle or drawing of a triangle with equal sides and it's facing down. So you have two points at the top, one on the left, one on the right, and the corners, and one corner at the bottom, in the middle. So we're going to give those all these corners certain words. The corner in the top left will be called persecutor. The co- corner on the top right will be called the rescuer. And the corner in the bottom is called the victim. And so those are your three... Um, those are your three personas in this triangle. And so what this triangle is all, is all about is it describes interactions between people in approximately like 90% of situations. About 90% of interactions between humans, um, especially like in relationships and even more especially in intimate relationships, happen, like 90% of them happen on this triangle. So how, what are these roles? What do they actually mean? So I'm going to read out the definitions, which you can find on Wikipedia. Yes, there's even a Wikipedia article about it. Um, here we go. So the bottom corner, bottom, uh, the very bottom corner is called the victim. And the definition here is the victim's stance is poor me. The victim feels victimized, oppressed, helpless, hopeless, powerless, ashamed, and seems unable to make decisions, solve problems, take pleasure in life, or achieve insights. The victim is not being persecuted if the victim, if not being persecuted, will seek out a persecutor and also a rescuer who will save the day but also perpetuate the victim's negative feelings. Now the top right corner, the rescuer. The rescuer's line is, let me help you. 
A classic enabler, the rescuer, feels guilty if he or she doesn't go to the rescue, yet his or her rescuing has negative effects. It keeps the victim dependent and gives the victim permission to fail. The rewards derived from this rescue role are that the focus is taken off the rescue, off of the rescuer. When he or she uh, focuses their energy on someone else, it enables them to ignore their own anxiety and issues. This rescue role is also very pivotal because their actual primary interest is really an avoidance of their own problems dis uh, disguised as concerns for the victim's needs. Okay, and so now the top left corner, the persecutor, aka the villain. The persecutor insists it's all your fault. The persecutor is controlling, blaming, critical, oppressive, angry, authoritative, rigid, and superior. I feel like, I feel like it's time for a short pause here. Now that you know these roles, uh, victim in the bottom, the rescuer in the top right, and the persecutor on the top left, you're probably thinking to your own um, relationships that are taking place in your life and thinking how, you know, who plays what roles. And the interesting thing is here that we are not confined to one role. We have a starting role that we often start in, but then we can rotate through these roles like 70 times per day. Um, all of these roles, where they come from, is they're actually interpretations of early family encounters. Our personalities, our blueprints in our minds, they all come from or most of them come from our nurture, how we were brought up, what was happening in our families, how our parents interacted with each other, how we interacted with our siblings, how we saw our parents interact with our siblings or with their friends and, uh, and their parents and so on. And then from our friendships and school and so on. And a lot of these forms, a lot of these things are actually formed before the age of eight. You know, when you are still learning how to be human <laughs> in this world. And so, the, then what you predominantly see or what role you fit in in your family at the start becomes a life theme for you, whether it's the victim, the rescuer, or the persecutor. And then once you are an adult and you interact with other people, you have relationships, intimate relationships, friendships, and so on, you, in these interactions, you can rotate through these different aspects. So let's have a look at a couple examples. We'll have a look at an example of each one of these to make it a bit clearer. So for the example of a, we'll start with an example of a rescuer, right? So how could somebody become a rescuer in adulthood? What could have, for instance, could have triggered this or created this life theme in their childhood? Um, example is about Sally, a hypothetical person. This is from one of Lynn Forrest's articles, which we'll mention at the end. Uh, Sally's mother was physically disabled and addicted to prescriptive drugs. From Sally's earliest memory, she reported feeling ultimately responsible for her mother. Instead of getting appropriate care, instead of getting appropriate care from a parent who was concerned for her well-being, she became the little parent of a mother who played the part of a helpless child. This childhood scenario set Sally up 
with a life script that predisposed her towards becoming a starting gate rescuer. Starting gate just means where you start off on the triangle, so SGR or starting gate rescuer. Um, caretaking other caretaking of others became her primary way relating to others. Um, rescuers like Sally have an unconscious core belief that might sound something like this. My needs are not important. I am only valued for what I can do for others. So there we go. So that's a person that over the course of their childhood developed through unfortunate circumstances, but nevertheless developed this life theme of being the rescuer. And so what happens is um, Sally would now, as an adult, rotate through this victim triangle on a regular basis. So what she would do is she would take care of somebody in a, in a relationship, like do a lot of things for them, and then they wouldn't appreciate it because victims never do appreciate it. That that makes them feel worse. When somebody's a victim, they don't just go around saying, oh, yes, you know, like, thank you so much for all your help all the time because then that they admit that they can't do it themselves. So Sally would find herself a victim to take care of, or in a friendship, in an intimate relationship, what kind of, whatever kind of relationship. Whenever there would be a victim, Sally would be the rescuer. She would take care of them. And then the victim wouldn't show the gratitude Sally expects. Eventually, Sally would get um, upset about it, and she would start saying things like, after all I've done for you, how, how dare you not... You know, not recognize how dare you like uh, treat me like this and so on. And she would become the persecutor. So you, you can feel notes of accusation, anger and so on. So she's moved from the top right corner to the top left corner. Uh, and now she's become the persecutor and she's attacking the other person. Um, and that's that's how you generally move through the triangle uh, as, you know, as the relationship or, the, or even the conversation develops. This could happen in one conversation. You could move through this triangle like 10 times in the space of one conversation. Okay, let's look at an example of um, somebody else. Uh, so a starting gate persecutor. So somebody who has developed this life theme of um, of uh, being a persecutor. How could that happen in their childhood? Um, so example of Joseph, again, from the same website, very general example. Joseph was from a prominent wealthy family. His parents divorced and his father was angry. Uh, remote and used his money to control others. His mother was an alcoholic who brought home men who abused her and Joseph throughout his pre-adolescent and adolescent years. He early on learned that his only chance for survival was to fight. Joseph plowed through life and with his head down the way a bull rages across bullfighter's pen, he constructed his life so that there was always an enemy that had to be fought. So as you can imagine, somebody like that or somebody who had a childhood like that will always go into any kind of relationship. Like they might be very bravo and macho and so on. But like when they when they're in a relationship of friendship, um, they're always expecting a fight and they're always aggressive. They're always ready to accuse other people or see see their faults and bring them down criticize them because they for them it's easier to attack first than to wait to get attacked and that is um that is a classic persecutor so when a persecutor meets up with a victim um and if they um you know like they're having a conversation or having a like some kind of relationship then the victim will actually 
the persecutor will make the victim feel feel bad but in a in a very twisted way they will be meeting some of these needs of the victim so the victim will feel remember we talked about the six needs of tony robbins so some of these needs will be met in this in this weird way for the victim and the victim will want that to continue for instance the uh the need for certainty will be met the victim will victim already has it in their mind that they're they're worthless that they're not able to take care of themselves that they can't do things on their own well the persecutor is going to reinforce that they're going to give the victim this green card like like uh card blanche saying that yeah, you you're right you're you're terrible you're the worst person in the world you're useless you're hopeless and so on so the victim will feel certain around the persecutor um and then their own that will reignite their own feeling of self-pity and uh, that will give them this feeling of significance because they'll feel self-pity and then they'll find a rescuer who's going to make them feel significant and want to save them right so as you can see all these roles they perpetuate each other and um yeah and so that's that's how the persecutor would generally work or how how persecutor would generally interact and again we all go through these parts of the triangle it doesn't mean that if you if you do not starting out as a persecutor you'll never experience being a persecutor i'm sure we can all think back this is the interesting part like it's it's not just some some theory that might like that's that's interesting to read about and that's it if you look back on your life you'll probably you can probably think of a couple of examples even in the past couple of months or even one month of conversations where you played one of these roles where the you were uh we've already talked about the rescuer or then for instance then you became the persecutor or you're the persecutor and you were blaming somebody accusing them of all all the things that are wrong in your life um and so on so we all move around this triangle um and uh oh yeah by the way i didn't mention we talked about this in the 2017 learnings there was a learning called guilt and victim and guilt or guilt and victim and that was like very like very binary guilt victim or victim guilt type of situation and that was my, i guess that was my first explorations of this whole um whole world of human interactions and like it it already helped me out back then to understand how better how people interact but now having discovered this over a year later it really falls into place it adds an extra dimension it's it's a triangle now rather than just like two it's got like three points it's got the persecutor the rescuer the victim and it's kind of like enriched my view of how humans interact and uh really that this is the part where things are falling into place very well now um anyway got a bit sidetracked so we've got one more we've got the victim the bottom one right so the victim um is a uh, as we discussed last year is a low level of consciousness is is a very kind of unconscious type of behavior so um where people just are feeling very helpless can't do anything about it if, if the other two the rescuer and the persecutor they're actually taking some action whether it's aggressive or trying to fix things and deny their own problems um the victim is just like, completely helpless and expects everybody you know to take care of them and constantly perpetuates their own feeling of self-pity and self-doubt and self-loathing so here's an example again from uh this same uh, blog post 
Linda was the second born in her family. Almost from birth, she had problems. Linda was a child who was forever in trouble of one sort or another. She struggled academically, was perpetually disruptive and often sick. It came as no surprise to anyone that she got into drugs as a teenager. Her mother, Stella, was a die-hard rescuer. Convinced of, convinced of Linda's ineptitude and thinking she was being helpful, Stella bailed Linda out every time she got into trouble by constantly alleviating, this is important, by constantly alleviating the natural consequences of Linda's choices, Stella's earnest enabling deprived Linda of the opportunity to learn from her mistakes. Uh, as a result, Linda came to see herself as increasingly incompetent and grew more dependent on others. Her mother's well-intentioned rescuing sent a crippling message that promoted a lifelong victim stance for Linda. So yeah, so that's... That's somebody who starts in a victim mode, but again, they, through the course of a conversation or through the course of a, a relationship, they, they they can easily rotate through the, um, through the other modes as well. Um, so that's that's a quick overview. This this is a this is a much longer topic. In fact, so what we're going to share on the website on the show notes for this episode is the. Uh, the video is a two-minute video by Lynn Forrest. It's called Victim Consciousness Defined. It's on YouTube. Uh, it's Even though it's two minutes, two minutes, it feels to me like it's like 20 minutes. You learn so much in, in those two minutes or one minute, 50 seconds. This is going to be a diagram about the uh, victim consciousness triangle or the drama triangle. Um, and there's going to be this article by Lynn Forrest as well, which is so long. It's it's But it's so exciting as well, so interesting. In fact, it was so interesting. I was on this on a train from Brisbane to Gold Coast, similar like to, to last year. I was on the. I also mentioned this train last year. But I was on a train from Brisbane to Gold Coast. I was reading this article. I missed all my stops. I was distracted. Like I was interrupted by the announcement that the train will terminate here. And I was like, "Whoa, where did I get to?" Never happens to me. Like, ne- like I've, I don't even remember when that happened last time. That's how interesting it was. Um, yeah, and so, but that's a short overview, and you can already kind of like sense these things, like. What do you think you are? Where do you think your starting gate is into this triangle? Um, for me, for instance, I've always been a rescuer. That, that's that's definitely my starting gate because you know I grew up with two younger brothers, and uh, I always somehow took this example from my mother of taking care of them, and I was just constantly like looking after them and doing everything I can, and that helped me. Like looking back, indeed, that helped me avoid my own uh, issues, problems, insecurities, and like facing. Um, facing these like I still had my own challenges but like I didn't want to face like possibly help me avoid yeah my own insecurities and and whatnot Um, yeah so definitely that's been the starting gate for me like the rescuer I go like for instance I go to my brother's place and if it's messy I the first thing I want to do is I want to clean the whole place up and make it shining and spotless but that's enabling him to keep being messy right like instead of cleaning it up I should Give him tips on how to clean it up and, you know, get him there slowly if he wants that help, right? Um, but other than that, like, it's none of my business how, what kind of environment he lives in. And uh, he's getting better. <laughs> he's getting better anyway. Um, that's uh, the rescuer. Uh, recently, I've been finding myself getting more into, like, a lot of uh, conversation. Not a lot, but with certain people, I start my conversations in the, in the persecutor mode. Right, so I'm already going in uh, prepared for a fight. I'm already like 
um, thinking, okay, what are, what have they done wrong, or how are they going to try to um, make my day worse? So how can I like attack them first? And it's horrible, right? All of these things, whether you're the rescuer, the persecutor, or the victim, the, they're all terrible. They're all terrible states to be in. They're they're not. Uh, the, the victim is a very low consciousness mode. The other two are still, you know, a bit, bit higher consciousness, but still, like, because you, you kind of at least know what you're doing or, you know, you have a goal. But still, they're also low consciousness modes. And all this ha- happens kind of, like, you're not making anybody's day better. You're not you're not making, um, well, that's probably not the way, right way to say it. You're not, you're, you're stuck in a in your mind a lot of these things actually happen in your mind and by the way this whole triangle can happen just by yourself in your head you might be blaming yourself for being not enough not good enough for being uh for not uh, delivering this project to the best of of your abilities and then at the same time you're being the victim you're indeed saying i'm not enough and so on in your head and then you're trying to uh, be the rescuer um that can happen as well but whatever whichever way it happens it's not a good place to be and the Wherever you are in triangle, what you want is you want to get out of the triangle. That's that's your prerogative number one. Get out of that triangle. And how do you get out of the triangle? By being aware, by being conscious and being seeing that you're in the triangle. Like seeing, okay, why am I acting like this? Why am I saying this? Why am I upset with this person? Why why am I accusing them? Why am I trying to fix everything for them? Why am I feeling so helpless? Like and acknowledging when you feel that and maybe even having like a trigger action that you do in order to get out maybe for instance you stand up and do a star jump or or you i don't know you cross uh no, crossing your legs and arms probably won't be a good idea like um you blink very hard or, or something like you have a like a pattern that you invoke in order to get yourself out of it like physically jolt yourself out of that state and see it from a side so next time you're having a conversation and you're like accusing somebody of all the wrong things in the world well, maybe you're being a persecutor. Or next time you're trying to solve somebody's problems, uh, maybe you're being a rescuer. Or maybe where next time you're feeling helpless, maybe you're being a victim, just trying to build, build, build that certainty through feeling and significance through feeling helpless and uh, um, feeling pity for yourself. At the end of the day, life is beautiful. There's so many great things you could be doing with your life and time here. Uh, there's so many amazing experiences you could be having. Why do you want to be stuck in this triangle in the first place? You want to get out of it as soon as possible. So find a way to do it and get out of it. And the, the more aware you're going to be, the more conscious you're going to be, the the more frequently you practice getting out of it, the better the quality of your life will become. Because instead of being stuck in, in these feelings of blame, guilt, and whatever else, you're going to actually just be enjoying life and being present in the moment and being happy. You can be happy at any point in time, but a lot of time you'll find yourself, maybe even today listening to this podcast, you came into this um, already after a long day of work or something like that, and already you had some of these feelings. Now look back on that and see, see, could you fix that up? Could you, not fix that up, could you like, could you not have those feelings? Could you like just stop them and just like step out? You, the triangle is a two-dimensional space. You want to step out of it into a third dimension. That's what I mean, like, get off that paper. If you're, you're stuck on this paper where the triangle is drawn, like jump out of that paper into the three-dimensional world. So beautiful here. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm stuck in the triangle world myself anyway. Um, all right, and what else I wanted to say? Oh, and one other thing is 
a lot of the time, if you're in a relationship, a lot of the time, the way out of the triangle is through the, this is going to be interesting to hear, but it's through the top left corner. It's through the persecutor. A lot of the time, you will be seen as the persecutor. Not You won't necessarily be the persecutor, but in order to get out of the triangle, you might need, you people might get hurt, basically. If somebody's stuck in victim mode, um, and you're their rescuer, you're constantly helping them, helping them, helping them, and then all of a sudden you realize you've been helping them too much, and you decide to step out of the triangle and stop enabling their their victimhood by getting by like you know stopping the the assistance that you've been providing. Well, what's going to happen is they're going to see you as a persecutor. They're going to see like, oh my god, like how how dare you, or how come you don't want to take care of me? Why are you doing this to me, and so on? So you're going to be jumping out of the triangle. Be prepared that some people. Unless they're on board with it, unless you can explain all this to them, some unfortunately not everybody's going to be able to follow along, and uh, and also like get on board with this this framework and understand how this all works. Unless they're on board, be prepared that you might hurt people and they will see you as a person. But sometimes like you also you you need to get out of the triangle. That's that's the the bottom line. It's going to be better for everybody if that happens. If you're in the triangle, you know some people may be already out of the triangle, which is which is fantastic. Um, yeah, so there we go. That's my short overview and my short, short interpretation. I'm not a psychologist, so please don't rely on this like blindly. Um, if you have some sort of things you want to clarify or you want to, you know, rely on these things, then highly recommend seeing a professional psychologist and talking to them about these things and getting professional advice. This is just my interpretation. Uh, we're going to link, as discussed, to the video, a diagram, and uh, the long article by Lynn Forrest, uh, which is called The Faces what is it called? The Faces of Victim, uh, an overview of the victim triangle. So there we go. Hope you enjoyed that short excourse into the world of... Uh, victim consciousness i find it fascinating i could keep going about this forever um maybe if if uh, you and i ever catch up in real life that would be a cool discussion to have over a dinner or something um what else and that brings us to the end of point seven so we have gone through seven points i'm very excited that you're still here thank you so much i really value your time and i'm hopefully i was able to serve you and deliver you some interesting insights um, or some interesting thoughts and ideas let's quickly recap on them um, number one was the 10-day fast and that uh, uh, this is not professional medical advice but from my point of view skipping a meal is not critical in fact it can actually help your digestive system uh, number two was uh, be there for the people that you love. Some pe sometimes people might be in trouble and you might they might not be asking for help, might not be obvious, but if you feel something's wrong, don't shy away from helping those you love because they need, sometimes they need to know that there's somebody out there that loves them. Uh, number three, personal space. Uh, from my point of view, we all need personal space, whether it's more or less. So how an idea and something I've been doing is to consciously create time for yourself and physical space time and physical space for you to have that personal space to for you to have um, the time to relax and 
that doesn't mean sitting on social media. Switch off your phone, switch off social media, switch off um, any kind of um, chat, like apps to chat with people, switch off any, uh, don't watch YouTube videos and stuff like Get a book, read a book, listen to some music, just watch nature. It's okay to be bored. You're not going to be bored with a good book, but even if you're like just sitting in a bath, soaking, doesn't mean you have to be on your phone. It's okay to be bored. We're rarely bored in this day and age. We think it's bad, but it's actually not that bad. It's okay. Um, and in terms of relationship, so this is 3B. In terms of relationships, uh, this, this whole concept of separately but together. Again, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not sure if this is going to work for you or not. But I believe in it that we need our own lives, our own spaces, our own hobbies, interests, and so on. And if you are in an intimate relationship, then you bring what you learn your growth, you bring that into the relationship, you propel the relationship rather than meshing together and doing absolutely everything all the time together. Uh, number four, Essentialism, a life-changing book by Greg McKeown. Um, hope you pick it up and learn a few interesting things from it. Um, so it talks about setting your priority and f- focusing on the one important thing in your life. Something I didn't mention while we were talking about it and I'd like to mention now is that that essentially means saying no to opportunities. Like when people bring you opportunities and there's opportunities come up we and they might all be great. They might be like 10 great opportunities. But if you try to focus on all 10, you're going to do zero well. Focus on one and get it done fantastically and get rid of that what if mentality. What if I did this other one? What if I did this other one? What if I did all 10 of them? You chose something, you do it, you do it well, and you reap the benefits. Essentialism, great book, highly recommend. Number five, RPMs, the rapid planning method by Tony Robbins. Um, so much to say about this. It's been so transformative, not just for me, but for the whole Super Data Science team and the business. Uh, basically, you want to move away from thinking in terms of actions and towards thinking in terms of results. And those results need to be... So it's a results-driven... Uh, no, it's a results-oriented, purpose-driven, massive action plan. So you want those results to be supported by a very, very powerful purpose, emotional purpose that will help and um, empower you to get through to that result that you want. Uh, again, we'll share a 15-minute video by Tony Robbins on in the show notes. You will be able to check it out there from the original creator of the RPM. Uh, number six, do what you want. Make sure that you are not caught up in following stigma, stereotypes, expectations from other people in society and just constantly doing what others want from you. You should know what you want. You personally, listening to this podcast, what do you want? Not somebody else, not what you need to do, what has to be done. Maybe what you want is not possible right now. That's, to- that's, also, that's also an option. But at least knowing what you want is a good start. What do you want? Whether it's from your um, career, relationship, hobby, life, whatever it is. What do you want? And then go and do that. Do that. The more you can do what you want, the more you'll actually be living your life, not somebody else's. Number seven, victim consciousness triangle, also called the Karpman drama triangle. Um, Amazing psychological framework. So far, my favorite one out of the many that I've uh, discovered over the past couple of years. Um, It's got the victim in the bottom bottom corner, uh, in the bottom middle, in the top right, you've got the rescuer, in the top left, you've got the persecutor. Um, It 
very well described. It's not to say this is the only psychological framework or the only correct one. There's many of them. You can you can describe interactions between people many different ways. But this one describes, from my point of view, like 90% of interactions between humans, especially in relationships, happen according to this framework. And if you find yourself in this triangle, get out of it. Get out of it as soon as you can. You need right away, pretty much. Step out of it into the into like not get off that two-dimensional triangle into the three-dimensional world and enjoy life uh, because it's too beautiful to miss out on and get stuck in your you know in feelings of guilt and victimhood and things like that that are all happening in our minds so there you go that's all seven um while i was recording this i actually thought of one more uh, i'm not going to make it eight i'll just mention it here for myself so that next time i'm listening to this i can remember to review it again and something else that i've also discovered this year it was the so this is like a special bonus um it was the five love languages by gary chapman very cool short book about how people experience love so it's a uh, physical touch acts of service gifts um words of affirmation and um, quality time so one of those five is how you how people experience love um your way of experiencing love might be and that's how also we give love so your way of giving love might be different to how your partner experiences love and so there might be a disconnect like you're speaking different language you're trying to um uh, you're trying to express your love with acts of service whereas they're expecting physical touch or they want they understand love in the sense of um words of affirmation and so even though you both love each other there might be a disconnect there so that's a special bonus check it out gary chapman's short book amazing book life-changing especially for relationships uh, called the five love languages um just threw that in there <laughs> as a special bonus for for those of you who sat to the very end of this long podcast um so that was our recap uh another thing i wanted to mention before we wrap up is that i listened to my own recording from 2017 yes i sat down for two hours and i listened to it yesterday i was actually lying on the sofa um and uh yeah it was very helpful it was really cool and i'm not saying that for you to go and run and listen to my 2017 recording again or for the first time not at all what i'm saying is that it was helpful for me it was helpful to see what i actually said a year ago that was really cool and I noticed some things I had been doing even through 2018 as well and I carried them forward but some things I didn't do as much as I wanted to. For instance, the whole notion of being present now and living in the moment. I wasn't doing that. I was doing that less than 2017. Maybe like twice as less. I was I was very shocked at myself. I was, and now I realize that in 2019 this is something I also have to focus on. I have to live, excuse me, live more in the moment, be in the present rather than in my head and thinking about the future and worrying and or reminiscing the past. Um, yeah, so what I'm saying is it's very, it was very helpful for me. So I highly encourage you to do this exercise along with me as well. So we're almost at the end of 2018. Maybe you're listening this, to this at the... It's already after New Year's. It's already like start of 2019. But that's okay. Like you lived a whole year. You lived 12 months, 365 days. How many hours is that? 365 times 24. You lived 8,760 hours in the past year. 8,760 hours. 
surely that is worth sitting down for one hour and writing out what what were your biggest takeaways maybe maybe you can write it out you can record an audio you can record a video um, you can type it up on your computer um, it's probably going to take more than an hour because you have to think about it and things like that but even if it takes you in total three hours including like thinking while while you may be cooking dinner or or going for a jog it's totally worth it so highly encourage you to do that and the important thing here is not to just think about it, but actually to write it down and keep that document or whatever it is, media or basically it's an asset for your life. Keep that safe so you can review it a year later and set yourself a reminder to review it a year later. Maybe when you hear my podcast and you hear this podcast a year later, this episode for 2019, that will remind you to review your own learnings from 2018. Um, so review it and, and see see what happens in the next year, see how you change and that will be a reminder for you. And don't do too many. Like I did seven because that's, that's um, you know, I don't want to do more because then I'll get uh, carried away. Maybe do seven, do do nine, do three. I don't know. Like pick, pick a number for yourself. Um, yeah, but in any case, I highly encourage documenting your learnings for the year and keeping them safe and reviewing them at least a year from now. Maybe you'll review them six months from now and that will put you on back on the right course, the right track. And one final reminder I wanted to share is that the show notes are available at www.superdayascience.com slash 221. So if there was any, anything you were interested in in this episode, whether it's a video, a book title, uh, a blog, uh, maybe even the transcript for this episode, all those things are available at superdayascience.com slash 221. Feel free to head on over there and use those materials as you like to further inform your own learning and on that note that brings us to the end thank you so much for being here i wish you a merry christmas and happy holidays and a exciting fun fulfilled powerful empowering disruptive crazy adventurous and insanely beautiful 2019 I hope you experience lots of joy, love, and you have tremendous success in your career. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for being part of the Super Data Science podcast and Super Data Science journey in the past year, or maybe more if you've been with us for longer than that. Really appreciate you being part of this, and I can't wait to see you in 2019. And until then, happy analyzing. <laughs>